With writing, so much of it is just a long slog of groping around in the dark, not knowing if you're going the right direction, and having come out the other end of several bigger projects that, that I've written in the past couple of years. This great thing I've heard Adam Savage of the Mythbusters say, which is that all creation is iteration. You are consistently making something, remaking it, remaking it until it's great. It's ne like you cannot expect it to be great the first time around. You have to expect it to be rough and require refinement and sculpting and molding. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Seth Worley. Seth is an acclaimed filmmaker who I've personally known for, I think, almost a decade now, and he really burst onto the scene with his short film, Plot Device, which went viral on Vimeo several years ago. Since then, Seth has worked with Red Giant Films, making a multitude of short films and tutorials, and he has gone on to direct and write several commercial projects along the way. Seth is also the creator of the company PlotDevices.co, where he makes a variety of workbooks and tools made for filmmakers. The one that's the most popular that got hundreds of thousands of dollars raised on Kickstarter is the Story Clock Notebook. Seth is a hilarious human being and a good friend of mine, so it was a real joy and honor for me to interview him on this podcast. But before we get to that conversation, I want to tell you again about the incredible Peter McKinnon Variable Neutral Density Filters. I just received my personal copies from Polar Pro, and let me tell you, the build quality on these things are next to none. I love the way that they click into the different stops. Basically, it's a variable neutral density filter with hard stops on each increment of the variable neutral density-ness. So if you want two stops, three stops, four stops, five stops, it has a nice clicky stop on each rung of that. Also, another thing about the build quality of this is the amazing lens cap system and the Defender system. It's all built into the ND filter itself, giving you the perfect sandwich of protection for your neutral density filter. You're spending a lot of money on these and these are professional tools that are gonna last you several years. So you wanna make sure they're protected. And it comes with this incredible case system that also acts as a lens cap when you have the variable neutral density filter mounted on your lens. There's two levels of intensity that you can buy, two to five and six to nine. I find myself using the two to five on most occasions, but if you're in super bright, sunny situations, the six to nine also works great. And in addition to the standard variable neutral density set, you can get it now with Mist, which is the Polar Pro name of Diffusion. Basically, it has a very subtle diffusion filter on top of the variable neutral density filter, allowing you to not need additional filters to get that beautiful cinematic look. If you're not familiar with what Diffusion does, it kind of blooms the highlights and gives you a smooth roll off between the highs and the lows of your image. And it keeps the sharpness of your overall image, but it softens the things that you don't want to be sharp, like skin tones and like highlights. It just makes everything look a little bit more vintage and cinematic. I love now that you can get a set with mist built into it. I'm personally gonna be using that set all the time, but if you don't want the diffusion at all, we do offer a version that doesn't have that, and it's just a standard neutral density filter with those hard stops and the new build quality advancements over the original. All of these filters that I listed and many more are available on polarpro.com, so I urge you to go check it out and pick one up for yourself. This is an essential piece that I recommend in everybody's toolkit. Now, a lot of new 
new listeners to this show may not realize, but we actually interviewed Seth's brother, Ben Worley, earlier in this show's history. It was actually He was actually one of the earliest guests on the Golden Hour podcast. Once you're done listening to this conversation with Seth, I recommend his conversation because Ben and Seth really work together on a lot of these projects. Ben is an actor and a composer, and he has done some incredible work with Seth. So I think those two episodes will combine really nicely after you're done listening to this. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in to my conversation with my good friend, Seth Worley. All right, so uh, here we are today with the one and only Seth Worley. Uh, and I like to call him my friend, uh, actually, because we've been through quite a bit here. I prefer dad. I, I prefer that you call me dad. <laughs> dad yes. friend, dad bod friend. Uh, both. It's normal. Yeah, both of us. Thanks so much, dude, for being on the Golden Hour podcast. Dude, I'm so excited to be on this. Have I not been on this yet? <laughs> I swear I may have been on it at least once. Maybe not. No, that was your brother, Ben. <laughs> Oh, God, I forgot. Yeah, that's right. We are two different people, not the same person. No, dude, I love them on this. Uh, I just like hanging out with you. I don't care what we talk about. <laughs> well, yeah, our uh, our past goes back several years. Uh, I first kind of interacted with you when I got a great opportunity to do a treatment. that I, I never wrote a treatment before. It was for a big company. And I was friends with your brother. And I reached out to you and was like, hey, do you mind just helping me out? I've never made a treatment before. And you really gave me some incredible advice. And that moment really helped me as a director move forward. And I really greatly appreciate that. Uh, we were at Crema. Really? I don't remember that at all. We we met at Crema. Uh, and I had this opportunity to do a commercial for Google. I don't know if you remember. But um, vaguely, I didn't get the gig, but that's kind of what solidified our relationship. That's awesome. I, I literally don't remember that meeting at all. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I obviously remember you because we are friends and have been since, but I did not remember that origin <laughs> story. Wow. I'm such a nice guy. Well, yeah, <laughs> I really appreciate it because you were like the only person in town that I could think of that was actually directing the type of stuff I wanted to d direct. Uh, comedy short films and and that kind of thing and uh I, I hung out and interacted with a lot of these guys who had all this swagger and like could shoot these videos that like looked so incredible and always got staff picks and like these you know supermodels looking out over the horizon and i tried to replicate that and i just never could and once i started watching your stuff i really resonated i was like hey i can actually make something funny and kind of poke fun at things yeah this guy makes stuff that looks worse, but <laughs> but distracts you with humor. So I'm all about it. Yeah, no, I I understand. Uh, I continue to be intimidated by all of our friends who can film the supermodels looking out over <laughs> over fields and sunsets. I've tried and I can't replicate it. But your story is so fascinating to me, and uh, this will be fun for me because I I do know you personally. But um, let's just start out with kind of what thrust you into the internet ecosphere and that was the plot device film uh with red giant um if you're not familiar with this film you're young um <laughs> <laughs> this this film came out kind of at the height of the dslr revolution uh it was shot on the 5d mark ii it went super viral on vimeo when vimeo was important yeah and uh <laughs> and it was such a fun and wild experience can you tell me about that particular film and then we can kind of get into your history and stuff? Yeah, but. that one, so funny. That one came along in a season of life where I was making camp videos for 
um, centrifuge and centrifuge camps, uh, which are these Christian summer camps, youth and kids summer camps. My day job was making videos and content for those. And, and, it, and we, I do a lot of narrative and comedy stuff there. And if it, if it came out and I, I would also use that, like that job and those videos to try and experiment and like try new things, like learn out. I taught myself after effects doing these projects and, um, and then I would post them online. Uh, if they if they were any good, I would share them out. Uh, I'd put them on my Vimeo account and just let it be ambiguous about their origin, about whether I made them as a web series or actually made them for a camp. And if they were bad, they'd play at camp and no one would ever see them again. And <laughs> I used, I would always, t- you, know, you know, back in those days when you post the stuff on Vimeo, it was very community-based and, and community-centric where you would... Everybody would post, and they and they any whatever they put on, on up on there, they would in the description, you know, in detail put like what plugins were used, what tools were used, um, and so I was using a lot of Red Giant products, and Arn Rabinowitz at Red Giant had a, a Google alert essentially for any Red Giant products, and found some of my work, and uh, he had just pitched at the Red Giant, like all company meeting, that he, as the head of marketing, that he wanted to make a viral short film. In his words, <laughs> he throws up in his mouth whenever he tells the story, like because he, he he still can't believe he said the words "viral short." But to Aaron's credit, he said he wanted to make a viral short, and by God, he did it. So <laughs> he did. You can, we can make fun of that all we want, but the dude went and delivered. That's right. Um, he. Uh, so he found me and my work, and most notably, he s- saw some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that we had made for this series called Adventure Now, in which we t- I mentioned the budget that we had on it, and which was it was like three to four to five grand, and for these like five episode mini series we shot in Hawaii and New Mexico, and so he was like, "Well, I like that number," um, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so he. He reached out and was like, would you have any interest in doing a, a tutorial based on some of the stuff? And also, I really would want to make a short if you have any ideas for that. Actually, he had an idea for the short that I thought was funny. That was like, it was very simple. It was just like a little sketch. It was like, this is your footage before Magic Bullet. And it was just a guy goes out to the mailbox and gets his mail and goes inside. And then it was like, then it was, it, yeah, then it was like, you know, let's apply Magic Bullet. This is your footage on Magic Bullet. And the idea is that it would be a guy goes out to his mailbox and then a car pulls up and people start shooting at him and he starts shooting back and a little action like set piece happens. And it was just like one joke little thing. And it was funny. So, uh, he p- pitched me that and I was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. Let's do it. And then he said, uh, well, I was like, I'd ask my wife, I have to make sure that I can fit into my schedule. And so I went off. <laughs> and then when I came, when he came, I came back and said, yeah, let's do it. He said, well, I thought of another idea. And that second idea wasn't so great. I don't actually remember what it was. I just remember that it was not a great idea, but I, had committed to this and so i i I didn't want to i went to try and write it and i didn't want to go back to him and say this is bad deal with it like i wanted to at least present an alternative and we had this yellow button uh on my desk from an old or on neil hoppy's desk my producer um it was this button we bought for a prop for some old adventure now uh videos at my job and we never used that prop because it came too late for the shoot so uh, what I ended up coming up with was this, like, essentially it was like the plot of a Pepsi filmmaker short. It was like the kind of short where you're forced to watch before you watch an actual movie, um, <laughs> where a kid, a kid gets a button in the mail, presses the button. And every time he presses the button, the color, uh, the, you know, color grade changes 
uh, to some different genre, and he's actually surrounded by elements of that genre and thrown through the movies. We did that for about $10,000, plus we could pay people in free software, which was huge. Um, although it only works once, because <laughs> once they have the software, they don't need it anymore. Um, and that was it. Like, I did, I did it because I wanted... At the time, I had no connections really anywhere. Like, I was just making these, like, church camp videos, and... When the sh this was back in a time when you could post, like you could have a short go viral and then be directing a Thor movie two months later. This is when Hollywood was like looking to online filmmakers like, you know, Gareth Edwards and um, like Dan Trachtenberg and I'm blanking on several others. Uh, they were looking at like to the internet for the new Spielbergs. And uh, I happened to get caught up in that wave with plot device. It was crazy. It was awesome. I ended up getting an agent out of it, and I suddenly had all of these contacts in L.A. that I did not have before that. And uh, that ended up leading to uh, a full-time job at Red Giant on the marketing team, creating content like short films and tutorials. Uh, and I've been there. That was in 2011. I've been there you know, for the last nine years while also doing a bunch of other stuff uh, on the side because it's a really flexible job. And that also led to... Uh, in a roundabout way, meeting J.J. Abrams. Yeah, dude. Well, <laughs> so... Tell me about that. That's gnarly. Well, okay. Uh, this was, for context, in case, in case like, you know, the... In case Judgment Day has happened, the nuke has taken out most of us, and you somebody's finding this podcast in the middle of a desert and needing context. This is 2020, and I'm going to be reminiscing on events from 2013. So this is totally a guy sitting and reliving his glory days. But um, I had now gotten into this groove of making, sh like, we made like four short films in one year, my first year at Red Giant. Um, and so... So it's 2013, and back in 2011, when Plot Device happened, like one of the places that I had uh, made contacts with uh, was Bad Robot, and it had gotten around to me that JJ had watched the short and liked it, although I never met him uh, during that round of meetings or anything, but had people close to him confirm that, yeah, he saw the short and really liked it, um, which to me was incredible, because at that time, my website was a Tumblr page covered in Super 8 stuff, <laughs> because Super 8 had come out that summer. So it was pretty clear where my fandom like lied, like where my loyalties lied at that moment. So cut to 2013, uh, I'm on the set of a short, uh, a Red Giant short we made called Spy vs. Guy. Uh, Great film. Thanks, man. And I got a, I get a call from uh, Ben Rosenblatt and Michelle Rejwan, who were at Bad Robot at the time, were producing Star Trek Into Darkness and uh asking me if i wanted if i was interested in because i'd had one meeting with them prior just calling me out of the blue inviting me to come direct uh a na they were doing a tie-in with insurance and star trek into darkness and they were going to be producing this this insurance commercial in-house um that was like set on a starfleet uh ship with like all the production design of the movies and everything um so i got to come out and direct that and i spent a month uh at bad robot uh working on that and being in, around jj and his post team on star trek and which was huge to me because it's a, it really it was absurd because star trek was like such a uh that first star trek movie specifically was such a huge monumental creative uh 
it was just like a, a hurricane of creative influence on me for the next several years. And the idea that on the sequel, I would be at Bad Robot, like working on a commercial tie-in for it, and then subsequently at the premiere for it. The, the story that everyone really loves to hear from that time period was, uh, I only had two interactions with JJ. Three, actually. Um, uh, I don't know how much time we have. I'll tell I'll, 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 The golden hour. It's a golden hour. I can make short. All right. Golden hour. The J.J. Abrams golden hour. So I, the first one was the first time I met him, uh, Josh, my my producer introduced me. uh, It was, we were literally like walking somewhere else in the building and J.J. walked in and it was just like, I'm in a hallway with J.J. Abrams. Uh, That is literally all that I'm aware of at this moment (laughs) and all I will be aware of for the rest of the day. Um, and Josh was like, Josh was like, JJ, this is Seth. He's directing our insurance commercial. I was like, oh, hey, big fan. And he held his hand up to shake my hand. And I shook his hand and I said, thanks. Me too. Of me. Joke. Like, I just said me too and thought, it sounds like I am a fan of myself. So I'm going to lean into this joke. And I said, of me. And then immediately thought, shouldn't have done it. it wasn't funny. <laughs> that was weird. And, and he was like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm sure you are a fan of yourself. And then we just moved on. <laughs> with our day um the the second time was i was in the uh uh the the workshop they have like he's got a workshop there that's got like a printing press and laser printer and like 3d printer all this stuff and like a uh screen all this stuff and that's where i kind of like to set up camp during the day because it was kind of right in the central place where you could see anybody who came in to like in the uh, in the lobby to like meet and so you'd see celebrities come through all the time i just like working there in the middle of the workshop and so i'm uh i'm in the workshop i'm working and suddenly i'm very aware jj abrams is like just standing next to me <laughs> his presence yeah and he's like messing with these new sign painter like brushes that they got that day like they did had recently arrived or something and so he's like painting something and i am acting so busy like on my computer and so focused that to the point of ambivalence or hostility, like I look like, like, you know, I'm just trying to be busy and act like a nonchalant that he's here. And I'm acting so nonchalant that I'm kind of coming off, uh, hostile to a point, to a degree. Um, uh, (laughs) but he, uh, I said, trying to remember this, this is really dumb, but I, I, someone was talking about how that day a star trek trailer had come out that day like uh, like a new trailer for that star trek movie everyone was working on had come out that day and a friend and i were joking about how uh they should release an, uh, a red band version where it's just one of us screaming the f word over the course of the trailer like so it's <laughs> it was such a dumb joke incredibly dumb joke and so i thought i'm gonna call back to this joke now in front of jj and he, he will hear this joke and think oh this man is he's a man of humor he's a man of a very uh <laughs> fine one you know a, yes a, a certain exquisite uh category of humor and i i make the joke to my friend josh in front of jj and uh, nothing happens, you know, like as expected. And then after a few minutes, JJ leaves the room and I look down and he's tossed whatever he is. Like he was messing with those sign painter brushes, painting something on the scrap, some like a scrap, uh, you know, cardstock. And he just kind of tossed that into the trash and went to lunch and he had, no, no, he, I, I, I'm sorry. I saw what he had drawn. I, I had looked down and he had drawn in this 
beautiful penmanship. This like beautiful. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Uh, like yes, cal- yes, beautiful calligraphy. The f word. Just had drawn the F word. Like, I guess hearing our joke had then just done that. And then he tosses it in the trash and goes to lunch. And I looked around to make sure no one was looking. I reached into the trash and I put that into my bag. And I have it framed. Uh, I had it framed in my office for years. Uh, it's, it has something on the other side of it that he drew. So that's what's out fa- facing outward. But on the back inside, I will, if people come over, I will open it up and be like, look, that's the F word. Just drew the F word for me. Um, do you think, do you think he knew you would go into the trash can to fish it out? <laughs> man, I, you, you, you think he would. It's like when the point when you become JJ Abrams, you got to assume that anything you throw away, people are pulling out of the trash as you leave. Um, <laughs> Uh, the third th- the third story, and I'll make it really fast. I played charades with him, and I had to act out lactation consultant in front of him. And I'd never played charades <laughs> before in my life, and didn't know how to ask for clues or give clues, and just made very inappropriate motions, like almost crying, just so stressed out for what felt like thirty minutes, but was really about a minute. Um, did he get the? Did he get it? Someone else guessed it. And they were kind of grossed out, yeah. But that's uh, <laughs> that's that's my that's Those my experience are three with JJ. Fabulous JJ Abrams story. That's the it's fortune and glory, man. That's the the the. This is what you have to look forward to when your film goes viral. If any, <laughs> if anybody has Hollywood aspirations, this is Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> wonderful stuff. Um, but throughout your journey during all of that, you continue to just crank out film after film after film after film with red giant uh with other people as well you did one with uh ryan connolly you with film right oh, yeah oh, i yeah. also did one with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true uh old new um was a blast and uh you know it's it's nice of you to say that but really we all know i owned some cameras you wanted to use so you just you know had me there oh buddy you were you were on set for half the time and you were like uh you were such like a <laughs> One, just a great confidant to have on that, to bounce ideas off of and like talk through because it was such a complex short. And also it was just like you were like a great cheerleader, like it and I mean that in a good way, like someone just provided morale for me personally through that. Uh-huh, yeah. And you also were like on call. Like I'd be like, Hey, I need a drone shot of a building and you'd like be like, Give me give me an hour and then you come back with footage like flying around downtown Nashville looking into people's apartments. <laughs> just be like <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we like, had, wow. We had that one shot, the opening shots, the drone shot into the apartment, and yeah, I just flew into somebody's home for that shot. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, it's a bunch of footage of I had to paint out people on their phones looking at you, like <laughs> calling the windows. cops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's in the Gulch. Uh, anybody who's familiar with really trendy little spot over there. This is when the Gulch was just two trendy buildings. Now it's like twenty five. Oh really? Yeah, I'm interested to see. I haven't been in Asheville in two years, so or a year and a half, so. It's crazy. Things have changed like wildfire. It's nuts being here and saying I'm from Nashville. They're like, why did you move here? <laughs> Everybody from California wants to live in Nashville. Well, yeah. Speaking of changing like wildfire, like you're coming to me live from California from where everything is on, <laughs> on fire. <laughs> fire. Yeah. Thankfully, everything's uh, getting a lot better. Things are contained uh, where I live. It smelled like it smelled like a uh, campfire for about two weeks, but uh it's better now. which is nice until you realize it's all of nature burning yeah no <laughs> not good yeah. at all but uh yeah. yeah the 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 thing that was so inspiring for me was just seeing you as a creator going out with almost next to no budget 
um, let's face it, you know, a lot of those films were very low budget and you were still able to gather around people with like-minded goals and, and people who were just passionate about filmmaking. And you were able to create these films that if you just go on the Red Giant uh, YouTube channel and, and just start doing a deep dive on all these short films, they're just fabulous. And I think um, what you've been able to achieve over the years has just been so inspiring to a lot of people, uh, to myself. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I've just always held you in such high esteem over these years, because you just go make it happen. Where does that kind of attitude and, and drive and motivation come from for you? I think I just, for the longest time, I've always like, when I was a kid, I would film this stuff in my backyard with my parents' camera. And it's like very much the same spirit and attitude. It's been, what's been difficult over the past several couple years for me has been trying to, um, trying to grow like as a artist, as a leader, as a, writer or director as a like there's the part of the job as a producer really like and like trying to allow myself to use more resources and um do things the more traditional way and or really just to get more confident at doing things the traditional way like with a large set working with working with uh you know larger crews and more logistically complex um productions and it's Funny, it's like I've had a harder time in the past couple of years having that can-do attitude of like grabbing a camera and going and shooting something. I think because my priority has kind of shifted toward, I'm going to try to grow and get better at this as a grown-up filmmaker. And the 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 problem there is assuming that like the way I was doing it before was was the not grown-up way and the way of doing it with large productions and large scale like sets and, and larger budgets is the grown up way. They're just two different solutions to a problem. Like they are, um, especially now, you know, with the kind of cameras that we have access to, it's really, it, you can actually, it's, I, I, I keep forgetting that I can just grab a camera and go out and shoot a couple things or shoot something. But it came from impatience earlier and like, you know, when I was doing this stuff a whole lot, you know, over the past 10 years, it came from just impatience and an eagerness to go, uh, make something and not, not make anything, but like each of those shorts, I had an idea that I was gung ho about and wanted to stop at nothing until I could like make that thing and present it to the world and having to wait around to do it just wasn't really an option because, you know, who was going to come along and let me do it any better than you know what i had if that makes sense absolutely and one of the things that you know in our relationship i saw in terms of growth was your writing ability and, and the i remember coming over i don't know if you were getting into magic at the time and maybe that's why i came over i might have dropped off some stuff i don't i don't remember but uh there was a, a... you definitely were you definitely did that <laughs> yes i there was a period of time where you really were getting into magic and so i was stoked so i brought over some of my old uh dvds and books and stuff and I think at the time you were writing old, awesome. old New, and you read the script to Old New. And uh, if you haven't watched this film, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, this is the one that, that I helped you out on a lot. And um, it was, Yeah, because the script at that point was just a Dr. Seuss book. Like It was yeah. really just like a, almost like a poem. It was just, it wasn't it was even amazing. a script. It was, I could just sit and read it to you. That was, that was fun because it was easier <laughs> to present to other people. Yeah, and you I know, remember you're you not like having a, reading the boat joke. Uh, 
Like, what's the deal with You are the only person who appreciates the boat joke. <laughs> That's my favorite joke. Like, <laughs> it's my favorite joke, too. And so and people just kind of gloss over it. And the only <laughs> other time that people laughed at it as much as you and I do was when Patton first recorded it. When I was, Because Patton Oswald narrated that. And when I went out to L.A. to record him, on his first pass, he recorded all through once. And then I went through and just did, like... Uh, slight adjustments throughout, but that first pass when he did that boat one the very first time, it's the version, it's the take that's in the in the short. <laughs> the engineer and I both just couldn't keep it in. It was so funny. He did it so. It his was the only. Great. It was yeah. his delivery. It was the most fluid delivery of the entire first take that we had done, and that was a wonderful feeling because it was just such a stupid joke, like such a my favorite kind of joke where <laughs> it has too. no story. It has no story value. It has no like. <laughs> Oh, it, it literally is. It could be cut and no one would miss it, but in the, therefore it's like my favorite thing. No, there's a. Uh, I did some. I've been trying to grow myself, and I've been watching some tutorials on story. And one of the things for for especially internet content, it's specifically this editor who works with YouTubers, and he said having something meta in the video where you're poking fun at yourself at some point in the video really helps the relatability of the film. And that's why internet videos are so successful is oh, interesting. It's relatable. It's, it's different than watching a TV show or a movie. So having something like that is sort of meta for the story to say, Hey, we're just some guys that just made this movie by ourselves, you know? And it, you know, I love that because it's very much like, uh, I mean, we're talking about magic. It's like, the best magic tricks are the ones where you are just like you watch it and you're you're like I I have all the pieces I feel like to know how he did that and I can't put them together. Yeah. Like I can see that he just did that right in front of me. There's like uh, and I love that I cannot like deduce how he just did it, but the fact that it you know that it's not real, that's what's so impressive and like yeah, wonderful about it. Um it also reminds me of like how like you know, I do a lot of uh, my other company, Plot Devices. You know, I do a lot of this story stuff, and I have to do a lot of these tutorials where I teach people how to use our products. And the problem is, like, I with the I products we tutorials. have. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Well, it's like the the we're the thing that that is so important to me about those tutorials, and that thankfully people have responded really well to, is like. I get real nervous when I'm like After Effects and stuff. It's easy to teach tutorials because you're like, put this there, type this there, see it works. Like we now just made a wheel spin. But um, with story, it's so much more subjective. Not just in the f like, not just in like the consuming of story and like the palatability of you know a delivered story, but like the actual creation of it and the process of it. Every writer is different and. You, the last thing that I ever want to be, come off as is a a guru of some kind or like someone who is – I don't ever want people to think that what I'm teaching that I consider it canon. Like this is the only way to do it or this will help you. And so the, the, the way that we've combated that is that anytime I'm on screen for any plot devices stuff, teaching anything, I'm playing this character of myself that is just this, this cocksure, arrogant – a-hole who like like who is like like we introduced me as like a, a you know cherished filmmaker seth worley like all of this is a way to like keep you from taking what i'm teaching you too seriously mm -hmm. um <clears throat> and I, so that's why i love what you just said about um 
about kind of about being self-deprecating in a certain way and exposing your flaws as a way to remain relatable. Like yeah. I totally relate to that. And for context, if you've listened this far without understanding what the heck we're talking about, the joke is Oh, I'm so bad uh, at this. Sorry. What is it? What is it? Um can you can you deliver the joke? Yeah, I so I know like water boats made it. So hang on, so it backs up it says um don't worry about age. Seri- oh, the point is, don't worry about age. Seriously, don't. It's a mystery to scientists like magnets and boats. I mean, what are boats made of? How do they float? It's just one of those things that nobody knows. And <laughs> you've just wasted, like, so much time, to- like, diverging and derailing the whole thing to talk about boats. And it, uh, it's so stupid <laughs> yeah. and it's, wonderful. It's great because it's like, the way that you write it, it's like the narrator just has this moment where it's like you you gave him a script and then he has this idea like you know what i've never understood how boats float i need yeah to, we tapped into a <laughs> we tapped into something he's weirdly passionate about uh-huh. yeah, yeah we've it's like, like we've kind of the tip of an iceberg this guy's got an issue with boats that we don't know about and we could couldn't cut have, out yeah exactly and uh and then another thing that we didn't touch on that you you said is Patton oswald is the narrator of that film which is incredible yeah. and um, you know, I, I assume that some of the connections you got from Bad Robot, I think, led to that. I, d- I don't remember how that um, happened. But yeah, it was cool. actually a mix of connections. It was we didn't really know specifically what we wanted for the narrator on Old New, like when we first wrote it. And we first we were produced in, in during production. The deadline for it was, I think it was like November December release, and uh-huh. then the product it was tied to magic bullet film got pushed to the first of the next year um of the next year and so we suddenly had some time which is that's any short that you've ever seen of ours that we made at red giant that is good it's mm-hmm. you it's it it's probably the result of a pushed software uh release like launch date because <laughs> what happens then is we rush to get it done we get them we get it almost done and then they push the release date and we have like X number of months added to our post schedule to where we now can take a break <laughs> away from it and then come back and keep reworking it and make it great. Um, and in this case, you know, we hadn't landed on a, on a, I think we had gotten some auditions from voices.com or something like we were looking at uh, some Sam Elliott impersonations. We were looking at like maybe some uh, like Richard Attenborough type impressions, but I think where we landed on, uh, well, we just decided, you know what? We have this time. Let's get somebody. Let's see if we can get a name to actually... Mm-hmm. Let's stunt cast this narrator um, just for a fun challenge. Like, why not? And one of the first people we thought of was Patton Oswald because obviously, you know, Ratatouille and and everything about Patton Oswald. And we, <laughs> uh, and we reached out through two different people. And this shows you how sweet this guy is. He said yes to both, and he said, "Can we do it on this day?" Uh, for to one of the one of the contacts we had, he said, "Yes, can we do it on this day at two o'clock uh, after lunch?" And then he went to the other person and said, "Can we do it on this day?" But I have another one I'm narrating, uh, another project I'm doing. Can we do it before <laughs> lunch? And he what? literally said he said yes without even reading it. Um, wow. What a sweet guy. <laughs> I guess he was in a season where he was able to, like, I can't imagine how now, like, with everything he's doing right now and everything he's in, how he'd have time to do favors for people. But he basically said yes to both. And then, like, leading right up to it, he, like, emailed emailed me. He was like, did you 
did you uh, reach out to me through this person as well? I was like, yeah, I, w- I just kind of have you booked for the day, but you can pick whichever, you know, <laughs> which whichever slot you want, and we'll do that. And I got was, you for the day. For yeah. the second half, I'm going to have dinner with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I should have just done that. I was so too scared. When I had him, I had him for an hour, and I got him done in 30 minutes. I was too scared to, like, like I really wanted just to, like, get him done as fast as possible and uh, – just out of respect for his time. And he ended up hanging around and talking sure. for a little while. And he was the coolest. Well, what's cool is you, you, you didn't, you narrated it first, uh, for the first cut. And I thought your narration was pretty good too, to be honest. Well, you know, what's funny is like, I, that first cut, I got it. Like with my narr, I learned on that one, a, it wasn't a hard lesson. It was a good lesson to learn, which is that like, I, I, I cut it, to my narration and then i thought i'll just swap mine out for patents and you remember like that version with my voiceover was pretty much done like it was it was it yeah. could have been a locked cut and vfx were you know we're i was halfway through the vfx on it and when i dropped patents in the the, the pacing uh the rhythm of it was changed just enough to where it merited me needing to kind of recut it from scratch and it was really discouraging. I thought that I had, I thought that I had botched directing Patton completely. Like I thought I had completely like, you know, screwed us over and destroyed this opportunity. We had gotten Patton, and then I had, in my fear of working with a celebrity, I had ended up not getting the best performance out of him. But the truth was, it was just literally a, a slightly different performance than mine. Arguably a better one than mine. Uh, not arguably, obviously, and um. <laughs> Patton's listening to this. He's like, how dare he? Oh, of course. That's how he talks. Yes, he's actually a British uh, a dog with a pipe in his mouth and a monocle. Um, he's a British cartoon dog. Uh, the uh, I Long story short, I, uh, when I recut the thing and got Patton's, uh, I got it working. The thing was, dude, like, you remember this. Is a, It was a story that rhymed. So you had this voice, like you had these visual gags that did require a certain amount of time for some of them to read. You had the gag of the voiceover, like, and the it needing to keep up the pace and everything needing to keep up with it. But then you also had music that wasn't, it wasn't scored to the narration. So it wasn't like a song, but it was the kind of thing where certain cuts needed to happen on certain beats and if the narr if like just you had just like a half a second of difference in the narration or like you adjusted one thing it threw off everything else and it was like three different variables excuse me to be working with in that edit and um i just remember being really discouraged after coming home from recording Patton and trying to trying to swap out the narration but then after about a month of reworking it it was like it taught me just that, like, you, you know, creation is iteration, and sometimes you have to start from scratch and just, like, keep working it, yeah. and you can work the problem and get it done. But I totally. forgot what the question was or how I got to that. Sorry. No, it was just the talking about the narration and how it, you know, changed. Yeah, that, w- that was the answer. Oh, <laughs> check. Done. <laughs> Nailed it. Moving on. <laughs> so moving on to plot devices, which you've kind of mentioned here and there, but such a fun uh, new venture for you. And again, another incredible thing for me to watch as an outsider. Um, it all started with a technique, again, that you taught me um, before you even did these books, but you you were really passionate about the storytelling element uh, or um, 
technique using a story clock, which is basically a little circle and, you know, and you, you basically put your movie inside of a clock, you know, at one o'clock, you've got your intro, you've got your act two at, uh, you know, four o'clock ish, and then your act three. And it's just a really great way to organize your film. And you showed me this technique and I started doing it. And then you're like, Hey, why don't we make a freaking product out of this? Cause it turns out a lot of filmmakers, when you would talk to them about this, were like, this is actually a really great idea. Can you tell me just about the creation of story clock, uh, notebook, and then, now your your new venture with plot devices. Yeah, um, yeah. It was back. It was I had been that story clock thing I had been tr- doing for years just on my own. Um, the real the real like benefit of it is that like if if you think of your story like 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 if it's a two hour movie, you know the hour mark was going to fall at six o'clock. The thirty minute mark is going to fall at like three o'clock, obviously. And like when you research movies, you find oh, f- like any if you like watch you know Raiders of the Lost Ark and you you plot it out as a clock uh this the act marks are going to be across most most movies the act breaks are going to happen around the same places um when you get an, when I get an idea for a story I don't get a uh I don't I don't get a one idea like a log line I get a big pile of ideas that are ideas for scenes for characters for moments for um, every little element and, and in my head they make total sense and all go together and I see the potential but when you put them on paper it's just garbage nonsense and normally when you like you ha- if you have a, any decent understanding of story structure and whether it's from Save the Cat or Joseph Campbell or any of these paradigms you have a general idea of where a lot of these ideas will probably fall on a linear timeline um, the problem is like the gaps of getting from you know this scene like I'll have, I'll have a lot of times I'll have Act One pretty much like plotted out in my head, and first half of Act Two will be really vague, and then I start having a lot of these gaps that are hard to fill and kind of daunting to fill when you are first starting out, and like the bloods kind of stop flowing, the lightning isn't striking you anymore, you're not getting you know rushes of ideas every day, you just have what you have in front of you, and um, I found that. By using symmetry, by putting it on a clock, you can actually, you know, pick take pick one of the gaps and then look at the opposite sides of the clock, the symmetrical opposite sides, and see if there's ideas you already have that you could build on in this gap or pay off or foreshadow. Um, and it's a really, really helpful and useful exercise for f- getting your first outline done and filling it with like relevant, meaningful material built from what you, the ideas you already have, rather than injecting idea like arbitrary ideas from the outside. Um, and that's essentially like w- the benefit of doing of outlining that way, and then the way the reason I've been doing it for so long. And whenever I would talk about it in behind the scenes pieces of some of our shorts, yeah, you're right, people would freak out about it, and it was like really exciting, and I. Uh, at the same time, Mike, my friend Micah Lanier and I had really wanted to, Micah was just getting into devel- into um, app development and was talking, like, we were talking about a bunch of various app ideas we had, and this was one of them. And I was also, at the time, obsessed with several Kickstarters I'd followed. I loved the Kickstarter, pro- like, I loved the experience of of uh, backing a Kickstarter. And I loved being like, I loved the backer updates that I'd get. Like I loved just, I just loved the feeling of being a part of that experience. And I, whenever I have love being a part of something, 
whenever I love how something makes me feel, I immediately want to emulate it and I want to do it myself. Like I want to provide it for other people as well. I brought in my friend Ann Fogarty to kind of pro to produce the project and handle like logistics and oversee the actual like execution and operation of the Kickstarter. Micah would handle the design uh, aspects of it and the engineering side of it. And I would handle the creative and um, through a long, like <laughs> through like a lot of experimentation, a lot of research, we found that like there were flaws to kickstarting apps, mainly having to do with how many, mainly having to do with rewarding backers with the app. There's like, there's a lot of logistics that we were just too much for us at the time, but we did find that we can make notebooks pretty easily. There's more of and, a business. There's more business uh, strategy there with Kickstarter if you're delivering a physical product. Yeah, and it's it's just the audience is a little more niche, it seems, but it's also easy to target and and maybe way more specific. And we, uh, and really, it came down to when we had some prototypes made of it. It was just really practical it was really useful like i found myself using it immediately and loving having this and i just wanted very least i wanted to make enough to where i could have boxes of them in my garage for as long into my life as i could just to use for myself and so we set the goal at twelve thousand, and we ended up raising one hundred twenty thousand, and started a company called uh, the product we made was called the story clock notebook and the first half of it was for researching and analyzing movies in the form of a clock. And the second half is for development and developing your own movies and ideas. And I say movies, but people have gone on to use them for sermons, for wedding toasts, ransom notes. Um, I've, I've used them for YouTube videos, just gear reviews. It works. That's awesome. That. It's like really like I've used them for talks I've given. I've used them for our Kickstarter video. It's like, it, it, yeah, it, they've been profoundly useful for me in my own work. And, um, we ended up starting a company out of it called Plot Devices, where we've made three other notebooks now as a result. The Story Clock Workbook, which is a more robust version of the Story Clock Notebook. Uh, the Storyboard Notebook uh, for storyboarding, obviously. And the Storyboard Workbook, which has lighting overhead, and, like overhead lighting diagrams, um, uh, gear lists, shot lists, and storyboards as well. Um, so those are our four main products, and we've had been doing that since 2017. And the, the name of the company is such a great nod to kind of your foray into the internet with uh, Plot Device, the film, Plot Devices, which is obviously a great nod to the film, but it actually makes sense in the context of what you're making. I know. So I, it's such I, a brilliant Lucked out, man. Combo. I wish, yeah, I, uh, I love it. Very, very excited and proud of it. it yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. So plotdevices.co, right? Yeah, man. Is that the website? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so we'll we'll link that as well in the show notes. And that's been so fun to watch. And uh, again, your tutorials are a riot. And I, I love just the whole brand around it. And I feel like a lot of the uh, filmmaker community has really embraced it. Um, it's definitely one of the like premier brands in terms of like the the design and the way that you guys have packaged the whole thing just has such a great look and feel. And I know that oh, thank there's you, been a lot of work involved in that. And I'm always texting you about what font are you using? I love your font. Thank <laughs> you, buddy. So yeah, nice. I know. We, uh, I mean, that's all Micah. Micah has amazing taste. And he, like, we, our vision from the beginning of this was to, like, to add one more company to this landscape that isn't silver ponytails and cargo shorts. Like, really, really wanted to, like, bring a <laughs> sense of playfulness and, uh, a little bit of like MailChimp and Third Man Records into this 
terrain in this, you know, into this, you know, video making and filmmaking community that often tends to be tends to take itself very, very seriously. We wanted to make something a little goofier and more playful. And it's been great to see people respond so positively to it, including you, man. So I appreciate that. So um, there's like, we could probably go on for hours and hours and hours because I just love talking to you and we're such good friends. But um, we do need to talk about what just happened and that is the film dino feast yeah which is sort of a sequel ish to what you've done in the past with your other uh child elliot i don't know if you would call it a sequel but it, it's in the same uh well vein no one's it. noticed but super lion is in dino feast but no one's no one's found the secret ah. the hidden hidden super lion so it's in the same universe for sure <laughs> it's amazing so yeah tell us about super lion and then you know dino feast and I would assume that you're going to continue this on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I have to now. Uh, yes. So, uh, man. You got three kids, so you've done two now. Yeah, so. several years. Yes. 2014-ish, I think, or 2013, I did a short. I, I took my son, Elliot's drawings. He he had made up this character named Super Lion. He was obsessed with superheroes <laughs> and Lion King at the time. And obviously, this was like a mix of them. Um and that's hilarious in of itself. I know, I, mean, I know, it's great. <laughs> he had drawn these characters and he had made up the story and I recorded him telling it and he ended up like in the middle of telling this, we were talking about this the other day, in the middle of him telling the story into the microphone, he goes, let's start from begin- from the beginning of the song. And I remember looking like over at my wife being like, song? Like, and he just starts singing this theme song to Superline like on the spot and I'm texting my brother Ben at the time who scored who scored a lot of my shorts I'm texting him I'm like I'm going to be sending you something tonight uh just be prepared and I sent him I sent Ben Elliot's uh Elliot's like recorded song and Ben turned it into this like epic superhero <laughs> theme song. And then I animated Elliot's drawings to it and made this really fun little short and called uh, super lion. Um, how old was he? He was in kindergarten, I think at the time. Um, yeah. And so he was about five or six. And so once you do that with one kid, you have to do it with the other kids. Like that was the plan always. But, uh, I have been putting it off. Yeah. Um, not for any reason, but I just had was lazy. And um, when we went into lockdown from all of the stuff going on in 2020, not personal stuff, I'm fine. Um, uh, Good. <laughs> but when we went into lockdown, it was like, this is the really, this is a good opportunity now to finally sit down and do Ava's short. And so Ava, who in the, over the past year has gotten really into Jurassic Park because she's just gotten old enough to watch a lot of these movies that i love and she's your daughter i know so um and so she loves jurassic park and so she she wrote this story called dino feast and uh drew these characters and i recorded her telling the story and right off the bat (laughs) it was like (laughs) she had told this like story that made lawrence of arabia look like we bought a zoo like it's this massive (laughs) sprawling (laughs) epic that like I was a little overwhelmed, but I was like, I can't cut a lot. Like, I really can't cut any of this because it's all so good. And it's such a linear story that with a beginning, middle and end um, and told so hilariously and per- brilliantly by Harold. You listen, she's like just a natural narrator. And yeah, so oh, since this is back, like, you know, early 2020 and so over the past six months i've just been at first it was in my spare time and then i convinced red giant to let me make it a red giant short and use my work time doing it and it just came out last week it's called ava Worley's dino feast and it's uh 
it's it's, it's insane. I'm it's such a fun little short, and I hope everyone watches it and with their kids because it's it just <laughs> hope it enriches your life as much as it has mine because it's so funny and so very much my daughter. It's great. What's so cool about Red Giant too is is seeing the tra- trajectory of the company. It's now been acquired by uh, Maxion. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so that's the company that does Cinema 4D. So you're able to really pull in a lot of that stuff. I mean, you've already been a Cinema 4D user before that was even happening, but now I assume you're you're really playing a lot with that. And oh, yeah. you know, Dino Feast shows off the uh, 3D animation skills that you've acquired over the years, which is really incredible. Thanks, man. It well, I didn't um, use very much. I didn't use very much 3D on Dino Feast. It was mostly two and a half D. But there are things coming down the pipeline from me and from uh, Daniel Hashimoto, who does our cheap tricks tutorials at Red Giant, who is fantastic. We, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline that's really exciting. Uh, as a result of our companies um, coming together. That's awesome. And then another film that you created last year that was a huge work uh, for you and a lot of time and hours involved was the film Darker Colors. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that as well? Yeah, that was just, it's a short that uh, was a proof of concept for a feature that I wrote last year um, and was developing, uh, still am developing, um, and uh, <clears throat> I can't do it, talk too much about the feature because... Uh, Again, it's still very much a thing in development, but the short was made to kind of field test a lot of ideas and concepts present in the feature. And Red Giant was uh, generous and very excited to like let me make it as a Red Giant short. Um, and uh, I learned a lot on that one. There's a lot of 3D in that one. Um, and, and child actors as well. Yeah, they is... say never to work with children or animals, so I wrote a short starring children and a bunch of CG creatures. So <laughs> uh, it was uh, <clears throat> challenging, to say the least, but uh, I think it came out to be a really interesting, unique short, and people should definitely check absolutely. it out. And it, absolutely. We'll link all these. I mean, the links on the show notes of this are going to be nuts. <laughs> so uh, I do want to clear the air and make sure that we're at peace here. I made two films for you and Red Giant that I never completed, and I just want to make sure that you we're did? good because, yeah. So remember, I did like I was gonna do something for uni- uh for Red Giant Universe that was like uh, two guys fighting on a train. Oh, you're gonna do film team had- experiments. That's right. I forgot about those. Yeah. I was going to do two of them and I think I just kind of left it open-ended and like never completed them. And like, I've always felt kind of guilty about it. Well, buddy, it. the company experienced so, some real hardship as a result of it and went through some really rough years. We didn't know if we were going to come out of it, but fortunately <laughs> we found Maxon and we're able to, they were able to sweep us up and save us Pick up the from your, it's all Dave's yeah, fault. from your destruction. Yeah. You did. You were forgiven, though. You were now forgiven. I forgot completely okay, about those. So the the only people who suffered were were the was the world not able to experience watching it. So Red Giant was fine. Yeah, I promise. I One cool thing about uh, Red Giant Universe is that VHS effect. I continue to see it on almost a daily basis. We uh, being used. We have a merit badge. In everything. Yeah, we have a merit badge at our company that like like it's like who spotted vhs the most in public um <laughs> it's being used on like commercials like it's ridiculous i see it everywhere yeah snl continues to use it uh all the time um 
you know I've, I've seen well it's it just a solid and authentic vhs uh plugin that harry and the team yeah. built that's like it's so authentic that it's almost like too authentic um <laughs> i know it's like why even there's some people that are purists it's like we're still gonna shoot on tape to get that that look it's like sure why? cool it, go right ahead it, we did work, all the work if the you want to you want to just take the plugin <laughs> and use it yeah I don't know what else to say. There's so many other things we could talk about, but we've come up to an hour. Uh, unfortunately, time flies. It's been a real man pleasure. Thank you for having me on here. This is so much fun. It was so yeah. good to see your face. <laughs> Absolutely. In my closet here. In your closet, uh, where I prefer to meet you. I think to kind of end this conversation, what it, what is something that you would like to leave with our audience? People who are inspired by your career as a writer, as a filmmaker, and maybe they're kind of twiddling their thumbs right now um, with maybe an idea they have that they want to create their own short film and they just feel a little, um, you know, just down from the climate of what's going on right now, but also uh, just feeling a little incapable of, of making something. What's something that you'd like to inspire our audience with? Uh, well, I'd like to inspire them to go to plotdevices.co and purchase as many story clock notebooks and storyboard notebooks as they can. But also, um, I think the thing that I'm having to constantly remind myself is to is to first and foremost take care of myself and my family, but like my mental health to like do think like to ensure that I am just taking care of myself and that I am not putting too much expectations and weight on myself to like be productive right now. Um, one of the most freeing things that happened very early on in this experience was uh, for me personally during quarantine is at my Aaron at you know, who's my supervisor at Red Giant just said, he said like at the very beginning, he was like of, of all this COVID stuff. He said like, go easy on yourself. Like we, the whole team, we all understand like that we're all now working from home with our kids home. It's all we're like, he basically set, set the tone for like a much more forgiving climate. Um, not that it wasn't forgiving before, but like exceptionally forgiving climate now and having that pressure, like that it's okay if you got nothing done today, like having that pressure gone really helped free me up to actually go and knock out a couple tutorials and be, and actually be productive to enjoy the very minimal, uh, progress that I may make during the day. And the other thing is just to like, you know, doing Dino Feast reminded me like, it, it, you know, it's a project I did at first out of parental guilt and then became, <laughs> and then very quickly became this, just this, this really wonderful escape, like creative escape of a thing to work on that was fun to create little challenges and push myself to like make something more interesting looking than it even needed to look and feel and, um, uh, just find little challenges for yourself and, and don't focus on the big giant challenges. Like find little things you can make in your day right now um, or over the next couple of weeks that don't require you to kill yourself to get it done. Um, and just like, just try to stay fresh during the season so that, you know, when we can all go outside again, like you're ready to take on the big projects again. Heck yeah. And I think, you know, now with your, just experience doing this what what's something that you've really learned from you know some mistakes that you've made along the way in the last decade uh the biggest one is just to trust the process 
um, and to do the work. Like the biggest, the biggest one is especially with writing for me, which has been the biggest hurdle. Like After Effects, there's just a, there's a quicker feedback uh, loop that can happen, or you know, making shorts and stuff. That it's a quicker feedback loop of like either you're collaborating with someone else or you're pushing a button and telling it to telling the wheel to turn and then seeing the wheel turn or not seeing the wheel turn and being able to like problem solve it with writing. So much of it is just a long slog of, of groping around in the dark, not knowing if you're going the right direction and, uh, having come out the other end of s- several bigger projects that are bigger projects that I've written in the past couple of years than I had really tackled regularly before. It's like, this great thing I've heard Adam Savage of the Mythbusters say, which is that all creation is iteration, that you are consistently making something, remaking it, remaking it until it's great. It's like, you cannot expect it to be great the first time around. You have to expect it to be rough and require refinement and sculpting and molding. And, and so that's the biggest thing for me is it's been trusting the process of individual of actual, like the creative process, the production process, but also just like the career process like just to trust that your work is advancing you in some way and whether it be growing you personally creatively or growing you professionally that uh there's timing to all of it and the only thing you are the very bare minimum you are expected to do is just to is whatever is right in front of you if that makes sense you know absolutely well, thanks again, Seth Worley, for being on the Golden Hour podcast. I'll have to have you on again. Uh, hey, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. It was a blast, and uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Awesome. All right, that's the end. <laughs> that's the end. Thank you, buddy, so much, man. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Seth Worley. It was a real honor for me to catch up with him. I haven't talked to him in a while, and I love the work that he does. Again, go check out his most recent films. I'll link it in the show notes below. And if you haven't seen some of his older stuff, go check it out all over YouTube and Vimeo. Uh, Red Giant has a ton of his work as well. And on top of that, why don't you pick up one of the Story Clock notebooks and show your support. I think it's a very viable tool for any filmmaker out there, whether you're doing short films, music videos, documentaries, or even YouTube videos. It's important to understand how a story structure works, and the Story Clock notebook really helps you identify that and make it happen with your films. Also, we interviewed Seth's younger brother, Ben Worley, way back in the history of this podcast. I don't remember which episode it was, but it was one of the earlier episodes. Ben is not only an actor in some of Seth's projects, but he's actually the composer who's done a lot of the music in Seth's work. Ben is an incredibly talented composer. Obviously, there's a ton of talent in the Worley family. So go check out my interview with Ben Worley now that you've listened to my conversation with Seth. If you enjoyed this show, reach out to Seth on Twitter at Awakeland3D or Seth Worley on Instagram. Again, we'll link all his stuff in the show notes. Let him know that you heard him on the Golden Hour podcast. And if you're a new fan of his, Tell them you heard about them on the Golden Air Podcast. It'll make me really happy to hear that I'm turning people on to him. Also, while you're at it on social media, why don't you give me a follow at Dave Mays and let me know how you enjoy the show. It's a pleasure for me to make these, and I love showing up every single week for you guys. Once again, this is the Golden Air Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio, and we'll see you next Tuesday.